what if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. The Dose team is on holidays this week, but here's one of your favorite episodes. What can I do to boost my memory? Thank you for listening and happy holidays. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. Since the war in Ukraine, I've been watching a lot of CNN, and I've seen a lot of ads for supplements that supposedly boost memory. If, like me, you're worried about dementia, it's sorely tempting to give one or even five of them a try. So this week we're asking, what can I do to boost my memory? Hi, Sandy. Welcome to The Dose. Delighted to be here, Ryan, and I think we all would like to know how we could boost our memories, especially as, as we start to hit that midlife and beyond. People should know that with normal aging, you start to have a little more trouble with your short-term memory, and it takes longer to do things. Your processing speed goes down. So have you ever been tempted to take something? No, but I have changed my diet to try and observe... Um, you know, what I would consider a heart healthy and a brain healthy diet. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that because I think there's a lot more evidence for how you eat than there is for supplements that are very expensive and, and promise all kinds of wonderful things. So I can't wait to get into this. But before we begin, I'm going to ask you to give us a hi, my name is. Tell us what you do and where you do it. Just ad lib. Sure. Um, so uh, I'm Dr. Sandra Black. I'm a cognitive and stroke neurologist who takes care of patients at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center. I also run a large research lab where we do all kinds of you know, clinical trials. So I keep very busy looking after patients and also trying to do studies of the brain using magnetic resonance imaging and other techniques and just trying to cope with people who have various kinds of cognitive disorders. Okay, here we go. We see all kinds of ads on TV and online touting memory-boosting products. What ingredients do these so-called memory improvement supplements contain? You know, well, they vary. I mean, I don't, I don't want to start um, naming specific brands, but one of them, as you know, that you see a lot um, involves something to do with jellyfish. And uh, there is a component of that. It's not clear why it would be beneficial. I think what bothers me about some of these ads is that they're very slick and they do sort of make people look pretty happy, you know, once they're on the supplement. And they talk about clinical studies, but the clinical studies are not really done very well. And it's very hard to do clinical studies, even if you want to try to look at specific diets. So I think some of the claims are not as well founded as they seem to be. And when you try to dig into what the data actually shows, it's uh, not so rigorous. So I think you have to be a bit careful because, you know, any kind of treatment that we provide to people, especially in the area of kind of mental health, um, can be accompanied by what's called a placebo effect. And that is when you do a proper trial where you have some people on the real, let's say, drug or treatment, 
versus because it could be um, it could be transmagnetic stimulation or some other type of intervention versus a placebo. There's an element of hope that people bring that can actually make them show a bit of improvement. And the idea for legitimate approval by the health approval authorities, Health Canada, for example, is you have to show that there is a real difference between the placebo and the treatment. And a lot of these claims that are referring to various supplements have not really either done those kinds of trials or they just overclaim it. And, and I think that's something people have to be very careful about. You know, we are doing this topic in part, as I've said, because I, I, I've been watching a lot of uh, CNN and other U.S. networks where I've seen Mayim Bialik, who, who labels herself a neuroscientist, by the way, uh, selling a supplement called Nareva. And, and I'm just wondering how much are patients talking to you, calling you up or, or making appointments because they've seen ads like that? Some of them are on these supplements, and you know, we um, if they can afford them, uh, then we don't stop them. We just, uh, you know, we don't endorse them. Let's put it that way, because I think a lot of these claims are, you know, they're videos and they're very compelling sounding, and then there's ads that show people who are very happy now that they're on this supplement or that supplement, and they think they're getting better. Um, some of it could just be a placebo effect because people feel they're doing something for themselves, but I really don't think it's been very vigorously uh, tested. And in fact, there was um, a particular group in Netherlands that had, I will mention this because they took it very seriously, it was called Souvenade, and it had a mix of, you know, medium chain triglycerides and various other supplements that would be kind of theoretically good for you. And they did a proper double-blind placebo-controlled trial over a period of, I think, a year or so. And unfortunately, it didn't show a beneficial effect. But maybe it's because we're expecting it to have an effect over too short a time, you know, like a year or two. People aren't going to stay in a trial for five years or 10 years, right? I think what we do, what we should be talking about is healthy foods. Because that is, there is a lot of evidence that's sort of, again, observational to show that, you know, people that have healthy diets, which tend to be more, we talk about the Mediterranean diet a lot um, because there also were some studies suggesting that people who follow those diets in population studies seem to you know have less um, uh, less uh, prevalence of Alzheimer's and, and, and vascular disease and that's really all about you know vegetables leafy vegetables and you know broccoli Brussels sprouts kale that sort of thing cabbage that's actually good for brain health and then fruits berries nuts walnuts in particular, beans, and then seafood, fish, especially fatty fish. These are all, and whole grains, these are all healthier choices. And so it's really important to be very careful about what you're eating so that you don't gain weight because it's very hard to lose weight once you gain it. Is that bad for brain health? Oh, yeah. You know, visceral fat, the fat that forms around your liver, it gives you that sort of belly bump. That's called visceral fat because it's around your viscera. Viscera is your, your bowels, you know, your gut and your stomach, your, like your intestines and your, and your stomach. And visceral fat is toxic. It actually makes inflammatory substances. They can hurt the blood vessels. So having that hot belly is not a good thing for your brain or your heart. And, that, and it's also you know, one of the things that happens in diabetes. And so you really have to be careful not to gain that weight because it's very hard to get rid of it 
and it's actually a toxic substance in your body. You've said a lot about diet, and I'm glad we've covered that. Um, I did want to ask you about that. How how hard is it for people of lesser means, people who don't live close to green grocers, to follow a Mediterranean diet? Well, I think that's a very good point. And I think the cost of food, the cost of gas, like the cost of everything is going way up. And, um, you know, people often have to try to survive on cheaper foods, which are carbohydrates. If you can choose whole grain when you're eating the carbohydrates, sometimes they're not necessarily more expensive. Just everything's more expensive right now. Maybe through food donations and so on, where people have the means, if they can make sure that even some of the canned versions of those might be made more available. And I can tell you that with every single patient at the end of our assessment, we talk about their diet. We talk about their exercise. So exercise is also very important. And even just light physical activity walking has been shown actually in a study, again, an observational study where they looked at people in their 40s and 50s, and then they looked at their brains later in their 60s and 70s. This was done in the east coast of the US, so it's you know a, a well-to-do part of the world. They found that those who did 8,000 steps or 10,000 steps daily, just walking, they found that there was a cutoff around eight to 10,000 steps, which is about three kilometers. So if people can walk and try to meet those numbers, they are also helping their, their heart and their brain. The brain likes exercise. The memory area of the brain benefits from exercise. So I think walking is very important. We also talk about sleep. And I just want to make a point about that, although this is not diet. And that is restorative sleep is really important. And sleep apnea, where you snore and you stop breathing, a lot of people don't know in their 30s and 40s and 50s that that is not a good thing and it's treatable. And what happens when you have sleep apnea, that apnea is you stop breathing, you get alarm bells, your brain is, your throat is obstructed and the brain gets into adrenaline mode. It wakes you up partly and also you can get low oxygen. That is a treatable condition. It can happen throughout life, often with a bigger neck and like strong athletes with big necks. Sometimes it's uh, very common and people think it's normal, but it's treatable and it's not a good thing. So we really go after that as well. You can see it in a sleep study. And then the final thing is, uh, in addition to diet, exercise, sleep, is social engagement. By helping others or doing something that's socially meaningful, even if it's like looking after your neighbors or looking after kids or engaged in various uh, interactions, which is very hard now without the internet, um, that also helps brain health. I did want to ask you about one particular thing which you touched on, and that is medium chain triglycerides. I've seen I've seen ads for that, but I've also actually seen some studies that have suggested that uh, consuming medium chain uh, chain triglycerides. First of all, what are they, and and where do we find them? They are like there's the, there's long chain and short chain fatty acids, and they're they're sort of part of the fats that uh, you know we use. And we get from food. And so like animal fats are usually long chain. But the medium chain, um, I think they're like six to 10 carbons. So they're kind of shorter chains. The others are longer. And you see them, in, it's, they're in coconut oil and, and palm oil. And they, they get metabolized in a different way. And you end up with, with what are called ketones. And ketones um, um, also are a way to provide energy to the brain uh, along with glucose. So the brain can live on glucose or ketones. 
And ketones may actually be uh, more beneficial. You can through some of these uh, like coconut oil and palm oil, and sometimes they're put in soups and they're put into different formulations. They can be beneficial, but you also have to be careful. They can actually help with diabetes and can help you lose weight actually. But you have to be careful because if you do too much of it, like everything, you know, you can have liver toxicity and so on. So you have to be careful. And I would do that sort of under some guidance from your physician and just or or a dietitian and be careful about how much of that you actually do. I do want to make a point though about a couple of things that people need to make sure they have in their diet. One is B12. And uh, that's very, very important. Um, there are various sources of it. B12 is very important for, for brain function. And then the other thing is vitamin D, I just want to mention, because vitamin D is very important in aging, in particular for bone health, brain health, and also immune function. Okay, let's, let's uh, switch things up a bit. How effective are some of the popular ways of boosting memory that people claim are effective? Things like doing crosswords, learning a new language, playing Sudoku, or, or doing daily Wordle. I think all of those are very good exercises. I think they are beneficial. A lot of those you can do you know, on, on the internet or in your own ways. And I think, yeah, you're just like, just like for example, people who speak multiple languages. And especially if you are actively bilingual and you're switching between two languages on a daily basis, there's some data to suggest both from Montreal and Toronto at Baycrest that you can delay, or you, if you look at people's onset of Alzheimer's disease, there seemed to be a delay of about four years if people were actively bilingual. So those who are multilingual, maybe, maybe too many languages, it, it, it starts to be counterproductive, but certainly for a couple of languages, if you're switching between languages, you're exercising your brain, you're actually switching, and your brain is practicing switching, which involves the frontal lobes in particular, and that's a beneficial thing to do. So I think when you're doing puzzles of different sorts, whatever you enjoy, whatever gives you pleasure and sort of also you know, exercises your thoughts, your thinking processes and your puzzle solving processes, I'm all for it. I think it's good. Between today's wellness fads and news about tomorrow's medical breakthroughs, it's hard to know what health information actually applies to you. Luckily, there's a podcast that breaks through the noise, TED Health from the TED Audio Collective. Join host Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter as she introduces you to leading health experts that break down the questions you didn't know you had. Will eating a plant-based diet make you healthier? How does your neighborhood impact your health? How will medical treatments change in the future? Learn all this and more on TED Health. Find TED Health wherever you get your podcasts. You know, Sandy, I've certainly had a lot more tip-of-the-tongue moments now than say 10 years ago is yep. is there anything out there that can help boost retrieval of things that i know as soon as i'm told of course i know that but uh, but i had trouble retrieving it in a moment well i would say um uh, don't live past 50 no that's not uh, that's, <laughs> that's well, a I mean, very depressing it, thought i'm way no, no, past I think, that i think it's just something that comes i mean you're you're sadder but wiser right so you have a little more trouble with the word finding but you know a lot more about the world there's also a time of day effect, by the way. People who are older tend to do to perform better on cognitive functions in the morning, whereas teenagers tend to do better in the afternoon or people in their teens and 20s. So there's a kind of a, a time of day effect that's also rather interesting that's been studied uniquely at the University of Toronto. So you I might be better that. remembering yeah. in the morning than remembering later in the day. Hmm. Do we know why well, that's the case? No, no, it's actually quite interesting. There's a circadian rhythm, and there seems to be something that um, 
you know, it also changes with age. I, and I don't know. I mean, I think it has to do with, you know, the circadian rhythm and in different time zones. It's the same whether you're in Europe or Canada. So it has to do, I think, with the sun and the setting of the sun. Just like, you know, in, in people with dementia, they have this, what they call sundowning syndrome. As the sun goes down, they get agitated and they, get, they can get quite, you know, um, confused. What's that all about? But it happens. It's so frequent that it's just a fact of having somebody with more advanced dementia. They get confused at sundown. So I think there are time of day effects that we don't always appreciate. And I think also the other thing that I'd say to my patients, you know, it's okay to have a nap. So there's a benefit sometimes of, of sleep and also having a nap that seems to maybe allow things to be consolidated a little bit and allows you to remember things better. So these are all, you know, little realities. One thing I wanted to close with, uh, and this is a reason why I think better in the morning uh, especially on those mornings when I run, you know, I, I continue to run five, six, seven, eight kilometers every other day. And I know you talked about walking because you're trying to talk about uh, things that people can do easily and they can incorporate unless they have mobility issues. But, you know, why is vigorous exercise so important for helping to stave off symptoms of age-related memory impairment and dementia? That's a great question, and I want to answer it because it's so cool, and that's because there's been some recent discoveries. When you are aerobically exercising, when you're on that run, your muscles are actually releasing a signal. It's called irisin. It's, I think it's a, it's a protein or something that goes to the brain, and it stimulates the hippocampus, the memory area. You're actually, you're actually stimulating the, the part of the brain that stores information. And, and learns things. And it may be, again, because where we grew up, when you were running, you were learning things and you were storing information about where you might find, you know, the next place that you could get food or you might find where you shouldn't go or whatever. But that was just discovered recently. So there's a muscle brain connection going on. I mean, all of the different parts of the body and the brain are interconnected, but this was discovered just recently. So you're actually secreting something that helps your brain health, very directly. That is a lovely thing to know. And you know what? It leads me to another question. Should I be listening to podcasts when I'm, when I'm running or should I just be kind of alone in my own thoughts? Because I have to tell you, you know, there are times when, it, when I don't listen to something and I'm just inside my own head, I'm actually putting ideas together that I would not otherwise be doing. So I think it depends on the individual person. I don't think there's any reason not to listen to a podcast because it might be a way to educate yourself. But the irisin is being secreted, whether you're, you're, you're paying attention or not to your muscles. It's just the automatic thing that's happening. Whatever, you, whatever the day is like, keep up the exercise because it's extremely important. And uh, if everybody could do it, um, I would highly recommend it. Running aerobically, even half an hour, five times a week, something like that, you know, is probably beneficial. But if you're actually running and you're, you're getting that um, exercise, then if you want to listen to a podcast or you want to just kind of be creative and think about things, do either. I think both are okay. Just make sure you're paying attention. Yeah. And uh, don't, you know, run into a car or something. That, you know, that's an important tip. And Dr. Sandra Black, I want to thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with me uh, on The Dose. It's been a pleasure and thank you for hearing me out. Take care. Dr. Sandra Black is a cognitive neurologist at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center and the inaugural director of the Dr. Sandra Black Center for Brain Resilience and Recovery. Here's your dose of smart advice. There are a lot of evidence-based things you can do to boost memory and slow cognitive decline. 
In general, taking so-called brain supplements isn't one of them. They're expensive, and the scientific evidence in favor of them is weak. You'll get more bang for your buck by eating brain and heart-healthy foods typically found in the Mediterranean diet, which includes green vegetables like kale, broccoli, and cabbage, berries, whole grains, nuts, and fatty fish. Stay away from high-fat dairy products and processed meats. If there's one supplement that might be helpful, it's medium-chain triglycerides, which are found primarily in coconut oil. Vigorous aerobic exercise like running and cycling causes the muscles to release a protein that acts on the parts of the brain where lessons are learned and memories stored. Just walking 8 to 10,000 steps a day is good for your brain. Sleep is important to brain health. Obstructive sleep apnea increases the risk of dementia and is treatable. Doing brain teasers can help slow cognitive decline. Being bilingual and switching back and forth between two languages throughout the day can delay the onset of dementia by up to four years. Staying connected to family, friends and acquaintances in person and even virtually can also help keep you sharp. If you have topics you'd like discussed or questions answered, tweet me at NightShiftMD, at CBC Podcasts or at CBC White Coat, hashtag TheDoseCBC. You can find The Dose on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. If you liked this episode, please rate us five stars so more people know about us. This edition of The Dose was produced by Amina Zoffer. Technical operations were by Lauda Antonelli. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. For treatment advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca/podcasts.